Hello everybody here. My name is Ben Yuka. I'm with the Zoe 103 organization. Please watch my current event show every Mondays and Wednesdays when I'm talking about IT, sports, and entertainment. Don't touch that dial.
This is a special current event show today. My name is Ben Yuko here. I'm with Zoe Me Podcast Media. This is the media company that is all the Zoe Media, IT, and Entertainment Services with you all. On the day five years ago, today, where we lost a legend in the game. So that is what we're going to do today. Now I'm going to kick off. One of the few interviews off today. We're going to be doing this whole series of great interviews. Talk about him, and that will make me very, very exciting to see this all in place. So, we're going to first play the interview from um, 2014. And also, I also want to play. I also want to play some, one more other interview of friends. Now, before I do that, I want to talk about how I know friends. How I was getting into listening to his singles and his, like his music singles. I was hearing a lot of his music on one two point You remember? Now it's a country station. Now here. Here, here in the Minneapolis, I used to be like used to play classic rock, and that was really touching and to keep him to hear that type of music. So, I'm going to play the Prince interview right now, his favorite and why he doesn't have his cell phone. So, I'm gonna play this first interview. So, let's remember Prince. This is be a Prince tribute of our current. Ben show might have another one or more or more or next week I'll just do it all next week it's just whatever time I feel like it but we just okay so we'll get to that right now so let's get to this first interview of friends and and then we'll do our we'll do some couple other news all right here we go I gotta I gotta, there's only one way to start this. The first person to contact me when I came back to late night was this man to congratulate me and to say he will be here, save me a night. Thank you, dude. You've always been a good friend. Always. And, and here's the interesting thing. Do you have a cell phone? <laughs> no. See, I'm always shocked when I hear from you. Uh, but how do you survive in this world without a cell phone? Everybody I know has one. Oh, you are, you're in social media, you, you have an Instagram account, a Twitter account now? Um, I'm trying to get Instagram. Um, you actually, I saw a selfie of you, or, or it was yours, I should say. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, that, that was your first? Yes. Um... <laughs> That was it. Uh, how, how would how would you? Uh, yeah. What what do we title that selfie? Um, one. <laughs> one. That's one. Uh, let's let's talk about titles. Your favorite title in the Prince catalog. What's your favorite song that turns you on every time you do it? I usually answer by saying the next one. Mm. But there is a song that uh, we've just written uh, called the Breakdown. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
One of the things that we try to do, though, is wait until we have other songs that go together with our favorites. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why it takes a long time to come out with albums yeah. these days. Yes. Because, you know, not being under contract, there's no rush to do anything. If you want... They like that. They like you having your freedom, I think. If you weren't Prince, what would you do for a living, you know? I mean, because I know there was a point where you maybe thought about something else. What would you do? Well, uh... I can't see you at the bank, you know? <laughs> Even though all the ladies would be in his line, you know? <laughs> When I was uh, 16, I was completely broke and needed to go get a job, so I got the Yellow Pages out, and I couldn't find one thing that I wanted to do. So I decided I was going to push as hard as I could to be a musician and win at it, you know? Do you watch any of the shows that bring new musicians to the American public? Not so much. Yeah, I'm. I am. Um, You're talking about you know the, the Voice and uh, Idol, you know the whole genre. Yeah, I was I was watching a show with uh, Esperanza Spalding, who's mm -hmm. a friend of mine. Basically, uh, and uh, she, we were both sitting there quiet. We were watching. And we looked at each other, and then she says, "Are you rearranging the music right now in your head?" <laughs> And then she said, so am I. So it's really hard to watch other musicians because you tend to, you know, it's like a painting you want to make straight or whatever. You just hear music like you hear it. It doesn't mean that, you know, what they're doing isn't of merit. It's mm -hmm. just, I just hear music differently. Now, I've met, it seems like, 100 musicians today here with you. What do you look for in musicians these days? Um, I was thinking about your question a second ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'd want to teach in some capacity if I didn't. So. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of fine musicians in the group right now, and I'm learning from them. So as much as I'd like to teach, I also like to learn. Yeah. Um, is, there, is there a huge vault of material that you've created that we've never even heard? And, and how do you make those choices? Because I'd like to hear everything that you pin. Yeah. You know, just, just to hear. You would look different when it was finished. Really? It takes a long time. There's a lot of music down there. Like, like how many songs? I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. I don't go back in time and listen to it like I did. I worked on it and brought it as far as I could right then. A lot of it I didn't even finish. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the bootlegs that are out right now, there are unfinished, unmixed. You know, sometimes they change lyrics. And again, you wait until, you know, you can find other things to go with it. Um, we live in a singles-driven market, but, you know, I come from the old school of making albums, and that's what I like. You seem to have uh, somewhat of a, a love-hate battle going on with technology. Uh, I know you haven't always loved the internet. Uh, how are you seeing 
progress right now with all of that? Can you use it to your advantage? Um, it's a double-edged sword, you know. A lot of artists aren't getting paid full scale for their art, and the internet, because of downloading and things like that, is kind of like a black hole, and it's hard to audit, it's hard to get accounting, and it's not that it's just about the money, but it's about justice and fairness, and when people say that they love you and they respect you, but at the same time take, you know, 80% of your earnings, then and then expect you to fix your own communities, and they'll probably edit all of this out, but... Then it gets, that's, that's the sharp part of the sword, and we're at the wrong end of it right now. So eventually, with courageous people going out there and actually saying something and standing up for it, I think we'll get some balance. Yeah. Um, we've watched you evolve over the years, not only as a musician, but as a man. And uh, I wonder sometimes when you look back at old material, like I've looked at so much in the last 24 hours to prepare for this, do you look back at old stuff, risque stuff, and, and want to separate yourself from it? Well, you know, when you're 20 years old, you're looking for the ledge. You know, you want to see how far you can uh, push everything. Mm -hmm. And um, as an artist, I just went there just to find it. And then you make changes. You know, 30 years ago, uh, there's a lot of things I don't do now that I did 30 years ago. And there's some things I still do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you said that, the first thing I flashed back on is, gosh, he, he's such, he's Prince. I know that, I get all that. But he's, he's also like this, this, this normal brother you hang with. I remember a time, and if I have to take this out, you tell me I have to take this out. Uh, but I remember one time, we went down the way south of Wilshire to an after-hours spot and hung out and partied. That's something that mm -hmm. we'll probably... Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could, you know, I, I mean, I, I have a son now, and... and, and uh, Congratulations. Put, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, we were... There were so many things that... That, that we did back then. Remember that house? We were sitting in a house and then... Vaguely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like they take you in and they chain the door and it's a pit bull and uh, they give you a drink and a paper cup and he wouldn't touch nothing. He, he just sat. Were we in somebody's kitchen or something? Yes, yes. Yeah, it was crazy. And Prince was sitting in this house. He wouldn't drink nothing. He wouldn't touch nothing. And he was trying not to breathe. He had a cane. I, if, if he could have got oxygen out that cane... Uh, uh. We could have stayed longer, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, but just just normal good times as as as, as young brothers uh, experiencing success. So that was a very interesting interview from Prince, and let me read some of the read some of the landmarks in Minneapolis so you get to know him a little bit. Landmark. If you like to see some Prince landmarks, I mean, please show the first at first at Downtown Minneapolis. This was the setting for many scenes of movie Purple Rain. It was also an easy angle for Prince and also the Capitol Field where Prince played for his full solo shows in 1979. Finally, we showed his recording studio and home at Paisley Park and is now open for tours. So, Prince High School. 
And that's why you have. And that's why you have that Minneapolis sound. Because if people think it's just it's just Prince, no, we had next here. We have mint condition. So that would be a whole nother discussion. I'm gonna talk about. So this is what I want you to get ready in June for my for our music. Alright, we're gonna talk about Minnesota music and get into more Prince. I'm doing a little bit right now, Subway's Legacy, but I'm going to get into it deeper in his music, and then I'm also going to get into all the other factors and stuff of black music in Minnesota. So that would be a great series. So that would be a great series. So that's why... That's why that's another thing we get to do. I'm going to play a little bit. And remember, he had he had other music, other music on the cover. So you got to understand the role of that kind of legacy into this music. So that's... There's nothing you can really hate on. Now I wanna. We get into. Some baseball news. We cover some baseball news right now, so. We'll do some. Coming on. So right now the twins are about to play. That so what other thing I wanna do. Alright, now I'm gonna play this one right here. This is this is one from sixty minutes last week. So I want you to listen to this, okay? We'll go to baseball, other things come out. Dig, if you will, the picture. It was 2010 and Prince set out on his Welcome to America tour, threading the world and playing sold out venues. He delivered a mix of anthems and pop hits drawn from his 39 studio albums. And yet there was something curiously missing from that Welcome to America tour. Songs from the album, Welcome to America an album Prince wrote and recorded right before the tour, but then never released or performed in public. That music, which you'll hear for the first time tonight, went into Prince's vault, a trove of material this blazingly prolific artist secreted away. Five years after Prince's death, administrators of his estate are cracking open the vault. Welcome to America, and welcome to the singular ways of Prince. The story will continue in a moment. Here he is on that 2010 tour. The riddle wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in gold lame. Let's Go Crazy was one of five number one hits. 
When Prince died, he was still selling more albums than any other living musician. To unravel the Prince paradox, we started here, Paisley Park in Chanhassen, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis, his hometown. From the outside, there's nothing Paisley about it. Enter, and the place is a trippy dreamscape, Oz accented in purple, not green, though a pair of doves overhead is still white. There you go, enjoy your tour. This is where the party you have. Now a museum, Paisley Park wasn't just where Prince worked, he lived above the shop so he could make music any time inspiration struck, which was basically always. This is my favorite room, man. The Prince estate invited us inside Studio B. We sat at Prince's soundboard with his longtime keyboardist and musical director, Morris Hayes. He's into it, you know. He gave us a preview of that missing album, Welcome to America. versatile, Prince wrote the songs, sang the songs, and played most instruments. He asked Hayes to add production value. Like he said, man, here's the record. I want you to overproduce it. Anything I don't want, I'll take it away. Is there another song from the album? Sure. This one's called, uh, Check the Record. Typical Prince, the album resists genres. Lyrically, it's by turn sly, suggestive, and subversive. Did he ever say why he didn't put this out there? No. Uh, and I remember asking him about it, and he said, well, we'll just have to revisit that down the line, because he was just on to the next project. You think that's what it was? It's just... It's just, I've never seen anybody that had that much work inside of them. It's just this unending stream of just music. Hayes isn't exaggerating. For four decades, Prince worked to a furious beat, releasing an album roughly every year. Yet most of the music Prince created and recorded was never released. By one estimate, 8,000 songs. That's Hundreds of albums never left Paisley Park. Well, music, you know, it ain't milk. It don't expire, you know? Really Prince vocalist Shelby J. recalls the music factory was open 24-7. It was nothing strange about getting that call at 2 a.m., and he got inspired, and he wants to record something. Yeah. So it's like, what do you, he'd say, what are you doing, Shelby? I'm like, I'm asleep. It's 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> He's like, you want to sing? Feel like singing? I'm like... Yeah, Prince, I feel like singing. He's like, how soon can you get here? How often would you guys record something that was great that wasn't released? That was all the time. Well, all the time. <laughs> and I asked him about that. I'm like, what's going to happen to this music? He's like, oh, somebody, will, somebody will do something with it. Very cavalier. Like, I won't be here. But he knew it would see the light of day. Prince warehoused all this music one floor below the studios in what he called the vault. Our cameras weren't allowed beyond this door to the vault's exterior but the Carver County Sheriff's Office got inside during a 2016 investigation into Prince's death at Paisley Park, eventually ruled an accidental overdose of painkillers. At age 57, Prince died with no spouse, no children, and crucially, no will. 
His sister and his five half-siblings have been named heirs, but five years on are locked in a legal dispute over the estate. Meanwhile, the bank overseeing the estate called in Troy Carter, one-time Lady Gaga manager and Spotify executive, to sort out the music collection and unlock its value. The Prince Vault is this legendary thing. So my first visit to Paisley, of course, the first place that I wanted to go was, you know, just to see the vault. It's literally a vault. <laughs> it's a room full of shelves, floor to ceiling with tapes. You have recorded music, a video archive. Then you have a written archive, you know, just looking at the penmanship, the drawings that he would do. You know, Little Red Corvette, there's a picture of a Little Red Corvette in the lyrics. I have literally have chills on my arm right now because I remember the first time seeing the lyrics. Do you have favorite songs that are down there? Wow. Same page, uh, but a different book. Uh, mm -hmm. So much more in common uh, if we only look. Uh, yeah. On the rare occasions he mentioned it at all, Prince downplayed the music he didn't release. Here he is in 2014. Is there a huge vault of material? I don't go back in time and listen to it like I did. I worked on it and brought it as far as I could right then. A lot of it I didn't even finish. Maybe so, but we learned that for all its and his mystique, Prince stayed out of the vault for the most mundane of reasons. When they told me he hadn't been in the vault in years, I thought there was going to be this story about how he left behind his old materials to focus on new artistic endeavors. And they said, no, he just forgot the password to the vault. And so he started putting stuff in his pre-vault, and then that turned into more and more rooms. Carter had the contents moved here to be digitized. Iron Mountain is a secure repository in California. A team of archivists bears the responsibility of listening to the music and proposing new releases. The estate has kept pace with Prince, putting out roughly an album a year since his death, a mix of re-releases and newly mined gems. Sometimes when we think we have the plan, we'll come across something that blows our mind. Is that my echo? Can you turn the lights down? Here's an example. In 1983, one year before the release of Purple Rain, the album that cemented Prince as a star, he recorded this rehearsal session. Just him at the piano, working out new arrangements. And there's a piece on that project of him crafting Purple Rain. To hear the seeds of the idea and to see how that song was sort of formed, and then to finally get to you know, that song being one of the most iconic songs of all time, it was re really special. Fast forward 25 years. That little tune Prince worked out at the piano, he played it on one of the world's largest stages, the 2007 Super Bowl halftime show. Morris and Shelby backed him that night. A little wet that night. A little wet. Just a little. Was he worried about that? No. Not at all. Not at all. He was unbothered. He even asked for more rain. He asked for more rain? Yeah. Say, Can you make it rain harder? Listen.
when you get Purple Rain in the rain, yeah. it don't get no better than that. Can I play this guitar? The ultimate showman, Prince, was at his most meticulous on guitar. He could deliver searing solos on stage that sounded unmistakably like they do on his album. What did Prince tell you about his approach to playing a guitar solo? He said, Morris, if you want to do a bass solo, like write it out, think it out, so that when you go to play it, you can play it again. And he would make that ugly face. You know, the you gotta make the ugly face. Gotta make the ugly face. You had to get the contortion face. Because the note won't even get out right unless you make an ugly face. And I would watch him play guitar and sound out what he's doing with his mouth, and I could see that connection. For all the music he churned out, Prince performed with the spontaneity of a human jukebox, rearranging songs and set lists on the spot, and zinging his band members when they hit sour notes. And he would just say, well, looks like Morris just bought me a new pair of boots this week. <laughs> what does that mean? That means you just got fined. You just got doxxed because you messed up. And now he's going to take your money and go buy some new boots with it. Was there a flip side to that, though? Could he be too controlling? Well, he micromanaged. I think, you know, the, 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 the key to Prince is that you always knew who was running the ship. The seas weren't always smooth. Prince famously chafed against the music business he said didn't treat artists fairly. In 1993, he changed his name to a symbol and splayed the word slave across his face, part of an ongoing battle with his record label to control his own output. Prince eventually won ownership of his master recordings, and his estate now controls the music. The challenge? Monetizing the catalog while trying to do right by Prince. You sort of have this, what would Prince do, echoing? I, I want to make sure that Prince isn't somewhere in heaven giving me the side eye. You know that, that famous Prince side eye? Carter, why'd you put that out there? Exactly. Hard to fathom Prince's final act of ambiguity, not leaving behind a will. As his heirs wrangle over his estate and try to put a value on something awfully hard to quantify, Prince fans remain loyal, making the pilgrimage to Paisley Park and awaiting the next musical motherload from his vault. You know, the fans think they've heard everything. So whenever we can find things that the fans haven't heard, it's like a victory. This one's called Born to Die. This summer will mark the release of Welcome to America, an album about racial inequality and social injustice. Recorded more than a decade ago, just outside Minneapolis, it crackles with relevance today. The injustice and equality Prince knew about that firsthand, you know, growing up as a black man, he knew what that was, and he could he could write about it, and he could sing about it. Then when you've got Breonna Taylor, you've got Ahmaud Arbery, you've got the George Floyd going on, it's like, we are, the movement is happening, and I think that the world is ready to absorb what he's saying on this album. I mean, it's right on time, you know, right on time. Prince will stay right on time for years, even decades. We've done the math. And with so many songs in a vault now cracked open, we could get a Prince album every year for the rest of the millennium. Or, as the artist himself might put it, until 3000 zero, zero. <laughs>
That was very, very touching. I, I was very, very well knowledgeable, uh, very knowledgeable there. It gets me more knowledgeable every time. The Prince legacy will go on and on and on. And as I so I don't own rights to any of these videos. I'm just using them as a reference to discuss it, give homage to 60 Minutes, homage to Asinio mm, Hall for those interviews that I played for the podcast today. He had over a hundred thousand sons. I don't know how you that you get that dedicated, but you know that takes self determination. And you can't knock that self determination wherever that actually goes. And that's why I see a winner in the future. Okay, now let's 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 cut this thing open up here. Let's get to this. Let's get to this. Let's get to this whole scenario. What you have here? Alright, alright. Here, here we. Here, here, here. I go. Forty strikeouts and counting. No what and a couple of major league records for Corbin Burns. The Brewers' right hand continued its sensational set to the season Tuesday night to adding 10 or more strikers and six scoreless innings of 6 0 win over the Padres. With, at Pesco Park, Barnes leads the major league started with 0.37 ERA and then leads the National League with 40 strikes out. He has yet to walk a batter. So check that out. That's just just striking people out. He's just getting funny. Oh, what? That's like a strikeout there. Ooh, let's bench him. Not one person. Let's take a look at that. Yep, get him out of there. Let's bench him. Oh wow, that gotta be that's gotta be sick for our baseball. Player. Oh, that is a woo. My God, my gosh! Oh, I couldn't, I, I couldn't. Well, these strikeouts. If you watch the highlights of this, oh, oh, God, jeez, jeez. All right, all right. Let's see some. Let me see if I, I, I have to call. I everyone's reacting to the George Floyd in case. LB players are reflecting to the. After the verdict yesterday, they stand by the verdict, and a lot of people are speaking their mind about the George Floyd verdict. So that also is touching a lot of people. So and uh, let me see. Dodgers have passed the all-time win. LA fourteen. In four start parts on its 126-win pace. Is so they're getting ready to become a serious team. You really, if you really look at it, I'm gonna read a little bit here. 
Because the universe on them overall regarded as the best team based on entering the season, and why not? They are defending World Series champ. They won eight consecutive division titles, there, which time they have won 41 more regular season games than anyone else. They have been good if they did nothing at all. Yet over the last two winners, they are out and at Moon Betts and Trevor Bauer. <sighs> I, 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 I gotta say something there. They're on the path of winning to be champions, so I I'm so impressed at that going on. So you cannot hate on what's going on. Fourteen and four. That's never been done. Never been never been done. Never been done. Fourteen and four. Oh, oh gosh. The Mariners in all one were twenty one and six. Oh, jeez. Uh, that's something. Gotta, gotta, gotta get up for these people. Gotta give it up for them. Gotta give it up for them. Alright. Let's, let's get into a couple other news that we have here today. Apple Original Films have announced they have green light, black, and blue. The color ball of Louis Armstrong, a documentary featuring the game champions did Halton by Brian Grazer and Ron Howard in Magic Document. The documentary will be directed by Emmy Sausage Jenkins, who held the Wu Tang of Mike's and Men. Jenkins will, al will also produce along with Julie Anderson, Sarah Bernstein, Justin Wilkins, while Ron Howard and Brian Gage was produced. So they're actually going to get ready with that. This is going to work with Universal Music Group. And it's and it's uh, talk about the film. The film will give viewers an exclusive look at the man we know as the founding father of jazz and the world first pop star filled with never before seen artful material such as audio recording, film, footage, photo, personal diaries that will be exclusive use. Black and blues will follow Louis Armstrong prolific as a musician, but all the screen he earned for not doing enough to the civil rights movement. He will play Dr. Quince Jackson, a de dermatologist who shared Bill Nall Lane. But it's supposed to connect, tell, and resin, resume that impressed the most established person, Dr. Jackson, fall, fails to do so. So, it'll be produced by Howard Kahn and David Miller. So, Common will be part of that. Netflix never ha have I ever. 
So that is it for me today. Not gonna play any music out out and I'll talk to you guys. Peace. Bye bye.